Good to see you tonight. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and for those of you who are guests, um, throughout the last several months, a number of months, we've been just kind of going through, in a, not a detailed way, but a general way, some of the basic fundamental doctrines of the Word of God. We need to know the Bible, and, and none of us know it perfectly. I certainly don't. But we're learners. We ought to learn. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. It's a student, someone who wants to learn. And so we're now at the place we've been uh, for a couple of weeks preaching about things related to end times and the future events. And so tonight we're going to be looking in several places in your Bible. And so stay with us and we'll, we want to cover a lot of territory tonight. And uh, we're going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you're able to stand, if you'd stand with us for the reading of the scripture, I'll read and then we'll have prayer together. And... We're kind of jumping in on a subject, and we'll kind of fill in the details a little bit prior to this, but um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 6. I was going to ask you to read the scripture, Justin. <laughs> I just saw him, he had to go back there and get his Bible. He said, oops, I forgot my Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's look at that together. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So very clear here what the subject's about. You know, right now we're at home in this body. We live in this body, this suit that God gave us. We're here on this earth. But because we're here, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We brought this out in a, the memorial service yesterday. He said, I'd rather be gone uh, than to be here. But uh, Verse 9, then he says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, whether here or there, we may be accepted of him. Then verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We acknowledge that it is a supernatural, spiritual book, that it's God-breathed, inspired, that, Lord, uh, the natural man cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned. We need the teacher, the Spirit of God, to be our God, our teacher, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to be attentive, Lord, uh, help us not to approach the word of God just academically for information, but Lord, spiritually to grow, to be strengthened, and to be informed, and to be prepared for what you have for us. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, last week, we studied about the rapture of believers, the rapture of the saints, and what's going to happen once, once believers exit this earth or they go to heaven, uh, what's going to be taking place on, on this earth? We're going to talk about that in the future weeks. Uh, there will be this seven-year span of time when the earth will go through a great tribulation. And, and what about those in heaven? What's happening in, will happen in heaven? And we're going to look a little bit in the book of Revelation. John was taken and viewed in a spiritual sense what's going to happen in heaven. The Lord revealed this thing unto him. But what's going to happen in heaven during this period of time? Um, and one of the things that's going to happen is what we're reading about here in 2 Corinthians 5. We call it the judgment seat of Christ because that's what the Bible calls it in verse 10. We, shall all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the only time it's mentioned. That's not the only judgment in the Bible. Uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, we have the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, 
lost people will face and stand before the Lord. But this is the, the judgment seat of Christ. So what is the judgment seat of Christ? Just several things we see in our text. Obviously, it's in heaven. It's after we've departed this life. Uh, you know, Paul, as I said earlier, he's writing this, this uh, epistle to the Corinthian church. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says this, just to kind of give some context. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he's not talking about the place you reside, your physical address. He's talking about the body you live in. If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So he's talking about our home in heaven and how God is preparing a place for us. And in that context, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And he says in verse 9, whether, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I have that word accepted circled in my Bible and out in the margin, I wrote these two words, well-pleasing. That's what he means by accepted. He's not talking about God will accept us as his children. We're already his children. We're accepted in the beloved. But the word accepted there means well-pleasing. Think about these words and personalize them, if you would. Verse 9, whether we labor, we labor, whether present or absent, whether here or there, that we might be well-pleasing to God. Now that ought to be important to us. That we would be pleasing to God. That we would that God would be pleased, not that we would be pleased and not even that others would be pleased with us, but that God would be pleased with us. Now that's a that's a very important factor because he then talks about in verse 10 about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And we want God to be pleased with us. It says there in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All believers will be there. All. And that's one of the reasons we know that this is after the rapture because all believers will be in heaven after the rapture. And one of the things that's going to take place while we're in heaven, while tribulation is coming upon this earth, is we're going to be in heaven and the judgment seat of Christ, there's no doubt in my mind, will take place in heaven during that period of time. Uh, the word there that's translated judgment seat in verse 10 is the word bema. You've probably heard that for, word before. A bema is a Greek word that refers to a raised platform. It'd be like this. It's a raised platform that you have to walk up steps to get to the to the top of it, it's a, it's a beam, it's a judgment seat. Uh, hold your finger here in 2 Corinthians, if you would, and go uh, to the Gospel of John. And John, we, there, by the way, there are a number of these examples in the New Testament. We'll just look at one. Uh, John chapter 19, other references where the word bema is used. In John chapter 19... This is where Jesus is going to stand before Pilate. John chapter 19 and verse 13, the Bible says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. The word judgment seat, there's bema. This is, so it's a commonly used word. It's, uh, it's a place of judgment, as in the case of Pilate, or it can be a place of rewards. The word was used uh, for like someone who was a, a contestant in an athletic event, and he would be rewarded, and he would be on the judgment seat. It reminds you of the Olympics when, when winners of the medals stand upon that elevated place, and, and they're given their rewards, their awards. That's what this is. That's what this word means. And it says in verse 10, every, we're back in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, everyone, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Every person, every believer will receive the things done in his body. So this is a place of reward for faithfulness to Christ. It's not a place to determine if you're saved or lost. You're only there if you're saved. It's not a place to determine whether it's not a place to deal with your sins. Your sins have been dealt with already. 
in the person of Jesus Christ and we have been forgiven of all of our sins. Past sins, present sins, future sins, conscious sins, unconscious sins, all those sins are forgiven in Christ. But this is a place that we're gonna stand and answer to God and respond to God. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment for the way we've been living our life as a Christian. It's an awesome thing to think about. Walking up those steps to stand before the Lord. To me, it's, it's, a, it's a sobering thing to think about. And, uh, and see again, we're going to see this in other places, but it says that everyone may receive the things done in his body, the things you've done in your life. It's talking about our works, things that we have done. Um, the word, I like, as you know, I like words. Uh, and, and I find this interesting in verse 10 that it says that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now that word bad uh, could mean a lot of things, couldn't it? It could be the way your wife fried your eggs. It could be bad. It could be anything. It could be sinful, it could be evil, but it's none of those things. The word there, bad, doesn't mean evil. It means worthless, vain. It, it, it could be things that we've done that may not necessarily be sinful, but there's just no merit to them. There's no value to them. Our lives are going to be scrutinized and we're going to give an account to God for the things we've done in this body, particularly as far as our Christian testimony and service is concerned. So we're gonna be in heaven, we're gonna stand before the Lord and we're gonna be judged for the way that we've lived our lives. We're gonna be judged by Him for the way that we've served Him. And all of us are gonna appear there. And I think, I think tonight, I'm not going to do this, but I think it'd be worthwhile just to hit the pause button and let everybody spend about five minutes just thinking about that. Because I think it's an important thing to think about. Because we have an appointment. We're going to be there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. And again, it's not a, it's not a judgment to determine if we're going to heaven. Otherwise, you know, we're already in heaven. It's about our service. It's about our faithfulness. It's a place where saints will be rewarded for the works they've done. All right, we're going to go to another place now. Let's go, uh, if you would please, to the left, to the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to go to several passages like this and just glean a few um, bits of information from each one. In Romans chapter 14, this chapter begins with Paul addressing some uh, tension in the church and those who were uh, judging one another, judging one another about their diet, judging one another about uh, things that are, are really not New Testament demands. And he says in verse 4, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? In other words, that man you're judging is not your servant. Uh, he's the Lord's servant. Who are you that judges another man's servant? We're not to judge each other on matters not found in Scripture. And there's much to be said about that, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay on our, our main subject. If you look then in verse 10, he says again, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Naught means nothing, empty, worthless. Why, do you, why are you treating your brother like he's of no value? Then this statement in verse 10, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, you're, we don't need to judge each other on things that aren't in the Bible because we're all going to be judged. And the Lord's going to be the one that judges us. And let's just read a few more verses. In verse 11 he says, For it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, 
And every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, there's that again, every one of us, us being the saints, the believers, every one of us shall give account of himself to God, will answer to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So he's, we're going to give an account of ourselves to God at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, if someone were to ask us about something or ask us to give an explanation for why we did something or why we did not do something or if this could be done a better way, you know, with people we can sometimes find a way to you know, make it look different than it is or put our best foot forward. But there's none of that at the judgment seat of Christ because he knows everything. He knows why we did it, what we were thinking. He knows everything. And in my mind, I think about what it would like, be like to be there. And there's no reason to make excuses. There's no reason to try to justify because he knows everything. So we're going to answer to God for the way we lived our lives for him. Let's go to another place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I don't know if you're making note of these places, but they'd all be worthy of more time or attention. But the purpose of the message tonight is just give a general overview of a very important subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, just to again kind of introduce the context, Paul is writing and he's addressing the carnal, uh, some of the carnality that's in the church at Corinth. And part of that was them just putting men on pedestals and honoring men and um, nothing wrong with honoring in the right way, but these, there was a, it was causing division in this church. And so verse 6, Paul writes to this this church, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We're on the same team. We work together. Don't try to make like one of us is more important than the other. And every man, it's a good statement here, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Not according to what he says he's done, but what he's actually done. Verse 9, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Talking about the church, a spiritual building. So that's the, that's the general subject. And then if you just join with me in verse... Um, Verse 11, for, for other, well, no, I need to read verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, Paul is speaking, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon, but let every man, these words are underlined in my Bible, take heed how he buildeth thereon. See, it's not just a matter of working, it's how we work. Take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now he's going to give us two different kinds of material in that building. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, valuable material. And then a different kind of material, wood, hay, stubble. Two different kinds of material. And then he says he's going, to, he's going into this very same subject we've been talking about the judgment seat of Christ and being judged for our works verse 13 every man's work shall be made manifest so what is it about it's about work it's about our works every man's work shall be made manifest now here's an interesting question to think about if every man's work, let's say it's you, it's me. If every man's work at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be made manifest, who is it going to be made manifest to? It's not going to be made manifest to God. He already knows. Right? 
You know, he's not going to figure anything out there. He already knows everything. I don't think it's going to be made manifest to others because I personally think we'll be there alone. But you know who's going to be made manifest to primarily? It's going to be made manifest to us. We're going to see. We're going to see ourselves. We're going to see ourselves the way God sees us. I don't know about you, but I think, I think it would be pretty incredible if all of a sudden, at one moment in time, you, could, you or I could see ourselves exactly the way God sees us. And that's a positive and a negative, right? Um, so every man's work in verse 13 shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Now what day is that? It's the judgment seat of Christ. That day is going to declare our works. Now how is it going to be exposed or manifest? He explains it in verse 13. By the way, just, just to say that, aren't you glad for the inspiration of Scripture that God puts in people like the Apostle Paul exact information that we would have no other way of knowing had God not shown him these things? Amen. It shall be, it, the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. What kind of work is this? If you put, if you put wood, hay, and stubble in a fire, what's going to be left? When the, nothing, right? It's all going to burn up. You put gold, silver, and precious stones in there. The fire goes away. They're still there, right? They they survive the fire. And so Paul is writing to them, and he says, we're all going to be judged. Our works are going to be judged, and and we're building upon this foundation, and some of the things we're building would be considered gold and silver and precious stones, and some would be considered wood, hay, and stubble, and we're building this, and the fire is going to try, test, every man's work of what sort It is. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So there are going to be some things that we've done. We're going to stand before the Lord and the works that we have done will be put to the test. The fire will test them. And some of it is going to burn up. Just going to burn up. Why? Well, maybe it was something we were doing that we shouldn't be doing. Maybe it was something we're doing with the wrong motive. We did it for prideful reasons. You see what I'm saying? You know, he's going to test our works. Some people may have the idea, well, it's not important to serve the Lord. Some people may have that idea, well, it's, you know, I think you ought to serve the Lord, but it doesn't really matter how you do it. But neither one of those are right. We ought to serve the Lord, but it does matter how we do it. Maybe it wasn't biblical, whatever the case may be. So some will not survive the test. If, verse 14 says, if a many man's work abide... When she hath built their own, he shall receive a reward. There's that idea again of being rewarded. All these are talking about the same thing, about the judgment of our works, whether it's in 1 Corinthians or or, or Romans. It's all talking about the same thing, 2 Corinthians. Our works are going to be tested. And and we're going to see. Now, again, think with me. Imagine standing there before the Lord and all the works that we have done from the time we were converted are going to be put to the test. Right? And you know what? None of us have any way of knowing. First of all, none of us have any way of recollecting all those works, what they would be. Second of all, none of us have the ability to know which ones are going to survive the flame or not. Every time I read this, Mrs. Murray, I think of something 
that Billy Bridges said to me one time. We were sitting in the office over there. He's in heaven now. He said, Brother Thomas, say <laughs> talk. Brother Thomas, it's going to be interesting to see what's left when the fire clears and the smoke clears. I'll never forget that. Think about your whole life. Some of you have been serving the Lord for 20, 30 years, 40 years maybe. Some of you have just been serving the Lord for a while. Think about all of your life works at one moment in time being put to the test. And you know what this verse teaches? It teaches that there will be some people that when the smoke clears, there'll be nothing left. You say, where do you get that? Look at it. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, if it's all gone, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I mean, he'll be, he may, uh, there are going to be people standing there that are going to see everything they've ever done go up in smoke. They're still saved. And by the way, it's good to be saved even if you have no rewards, right? But for those in verse 14 whose works abide the fire they survive the fire he shall receive a reward now let's go to the book of revelation we're talking about what is going to be going on in heaven during this period of time now i know i'm jumping from place to place but all these things fit together to me and I just want to kind of introduce this by quickly looking at a few passages. For Revelation chapter 1, the Lord is revealing to John the Beloved in Revelation 1 what's, what he's about to experience. In verse 19, very simply put, he summarizes. Revelation 1, 19, he said to John, Write the things which thou hast seen, past tense, and the things which are, things that are going on right now. What was going on right now? was John was an apostle, an elder apostle, and the churches, it's the church age. He's witnessing what's going on in churches. So that's which are. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And the things beginning in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have the things that are. He talks about literal churches. The church in Pergamos, the church in Smyrna, the church in Laodicea, the church in, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philadelphia. He lists these churches. These are things happening right now. And, and the Lord shows uh, John this information in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Then if you look in Revelation chapter 4, it changes. In verse 1, it says, after this, John says, I looked. And behold, a door was opened in heaven. Aren't you glad there's a door opened in heaven? <laughs> a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee, notice this, things which shall be hereafter. So from here on, it's going to be things that happen hereafter, in the future. The Lord's showing this to John. So he heard this voice like a trumpet saying, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And those are the things we're going to look at a little bit because one of the things that is going to be hereafter at this point is our subject tonight the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't normally uh, say things and say I don't, I can't say it 100%, but I'm going to say something that, that could be so, but I'm not 100% sure it's so because it's not, it's just really not uh, 
dogmatic. But I tend to believe, and a lot of people believe, that verse 1 is talking about the rapture. That John saw this when the Lord said, come up hither, come up here. That that was a picture, symbolism of the rapture. Now, I don't, I'm not saying dogmatically that's true. It could just be the Lord said, come on up here and I'm going to show you some stuff. But in either way, we're fixing to see that at this point, the saints are in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. So let's look in verse um, 2, it says, of Revelation 4, 2. And immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven. John sees this throne. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. A lot of stuff about the throne in this whole chapter. But notice verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Now we're going to talk about these four and twenty elders Clothed in white raiment, it's an interesting phrase, and they had on their heads what? Crowns of gold. He said, I saw into heaven, there was a throne, there was 24 seats, 24 elders was, were sitting in those seats, and those elders were dressed in white raiment, and they had a crown of gold, crowns of gold on their head. Chapter 4 and verse it says the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne John is seeing this and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns those crowns they had on their head they cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So we have 24 elders dressed in white apparel with crowns on their head, and then we have these same 24 elders who are before the throne, and they take their crowns and cast their crowns before the throne, and they worship the Lord and said, you're the one that's worthy. You're the one that's worthy. Look in Revelation chapter 5. We're still talking about these elders. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the book, talking about who's worthy to open the book. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, incense, which are the prayers of saints. Now follow with me here in verse 9. And they, talking about the elders, sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, now watch this, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us, the elders said, unto our God, kings and priests and we, the elders, shall reign on the earth. So who were these elders? The Bible doesn't say, clearly say who they were, but we know this about them. They were dressed in white raiment. They were given crowns. They threw those crowns at the feet of Jesus. They were redeemed by the blood from every tribe and nation. They were kings and priests and they shall reign on the earth. So who do you think those elders were? I think it's us. Saints, the saints, the believers who've gone to heaven in the rapture. And they represent us. Their 24 elders represent us. Represent the saints of this age. White raiment. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. From every... They couldn't be angels. 
right? They could not be angels. They're not Israel. I mean, who are these people? I think I see some of your faces there. <laughs> who else was redeemed by the blood of them? Who else have our kings and priests? Who else will reign on this earth, which is something Jesus promised his followers? I believe that's who these elders are. Now, just for one last thing, now I'm going to, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but uh, I hope you're with me. Now, I'm going to take a bit of a detour, but I'm going to come right back. It's not chasing a rabbit or a hare, all right? I'm, I'm, but, but something I think is worth mentioning. So, so just hold on to everything you've got so far. Look in Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, we have in verses uh, 4 and following the 144,000 witnesses, 12 of every tribe of the children of Israel who will witness during the tribulation. You have that. Then verse 9, John says this, after this, while they're doing this, while these 144,000 are witnessing all over this globe during the tribulation, after this, John says, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sit upon the throne and upon the Lamb. All, now these are people that John has not noticed being there. And he's making a, a note about it. And verse 11 says, All the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders. So the angels are there. These 24 elders are there. These four beasts are there. They fall before the throne and worship God. In verse 13, One of those 24 elders answered, John says this, Saying unto me, One of these elders said to John, What are these? He's asking John this question. What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? John's puzzled because there are people here he hadn't noticed before. And the, and the elder says, tell me who these people are. And I like John's answer in verse 14. I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. <laughs> Don't ask me. You know. You know the answer to that. And this is what he said. This is what the elder said. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are tribulation saints. We're going to talk about the great tribulation in another lesson. These are people that are saved during the great tribulation. So I say that because I think this is a very important thought concerning what the pre-tribulation rapture belief, which I hold to, and that is this. You have saints that were taken up in the rapture who, are, who are, have already cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And all of a sudden, John sees, he's got these 24 elders that represent all the saints. And then John sees a whole lot more people. And he said, who are those people? Those are people who got saved in the time of great tribulation, which speaks to me clearly of a pre-tribulation rapture and then people will be saved in and during the tribulation. So I'm fixing to have a quiz and see how much of this you remember. Now let me, just, let me just point out some things, and we're not done. We're going to look up some other verses. I believe those 24 elders represent the saved of the earth that will go up in the rapture. They are in heaven after the rapture of the saints. They're seen worshiping God. They're casting their crowns. Before the throne. Now, why is that? What does that do to what we thought this whole subject? Because it's at the judgment seat of Christ where they get their rewards. How can they have crowns to th cast at the feet of Jesus if they have not been rewarded? They didn't get those crowns down here, right? Those crowns will be will be for them up there. The word crown there is a word that. It's not a crown of authority, but it's like a victor's crown. And there are many examples of it. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 
in verse 8 where he talked about the crown he'll receive and so will all those who are looking for the Lord. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he's talking about the, sh the shepherds, the, the pastors, the reward that they'll receive. I mean, these are crowns that will be given out at the judgment seat of Christ. Crowns for faithfulness. James talks about it. Uh, Revelation talks about it. Matter of fact, we're in the book of Revelation. Look in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Here he's talking to the church at Philadelphia and he says, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You've, you've got a reward coming to you, he says to the members of the Philadelphian church. You have a reward coming, but hold on to what you have and don't lose your crown. You can, have, you can lose your crowns. In, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse uh, 10, look there if you would please. There's so many examples of this and I need to streamline this a little. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, this is the church of Smyrna. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Where will this crown of life be given to those church members that were faithful unto death? It'll be at the judgment seat of Christ when we stand before the Lord and we're rewarded for the way we've lived our life. It'll be a place, it'll take the judgment seat of Christ will take place in heaven after the rapture, but before the Lord returns in judgment upon this world. That's where we'll be rewarded. That's the message of the, think about all these um, uh, parables of the talents. Remember when Jesus said the kingdom is like a man who had so many talents and gave, or the owner that had this, uh, this estate and he gave so many talents to one and so many talents to other, so many talents to other. And then the, the owner left and after a long time he came back and he, one, one gospel says, he, he re reckoned upon them. He required a reckoning. You're going to answer. You're going to give an account for the way you've managed what I have. That's what all of those parables are talking about. How we will be judged one day for our faithfulness with what we have done. And in that very familiar one in Matthew chapter 25, he says to the one that had a couple of talents, and he was faithful. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the other one, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You will be, watch this, ruler over many things. You're going to reign with me in the kingdom. Reigning in the kingdom, in the future kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, will be determined by what happens at the judgment seat of Christ, which will judge our works for the way we've lived our life. First Timothy says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. I realize for some people that doesn't mean much. They're not interested in serving the Lord now. They're not serious about serving the Lord now. But a thousand years is a long time. I've been saved for 40 some odd years. A thousand years is a long time. I want to be involved in reigning on this earth for a thousand years. You say, well, how, what determines that? What determines that is what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. That's, that's part of our reward. It's not just, it's not just this, these, this casting these crowns at Jesus' feet. It's, it's places of service. You know, Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke. No man, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about serving him in his kingdom. It's not talking about whether you're saved or not. It's talking about serving him in the kingdom. When a person quits, when they say, I'm not going to do this anymore, the world looks a lot better, he says, you're not going to serve with me in the kingdom. That's what the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be a very serious time. And, I, and I, this is not just a theological lesson to me. This is not just a doctrinal lesson. This is one of the greatest motivating factors in all of the Bible. 
When you start thinking about is it worth it to serve him? Do I have time to serve him? Should I help this person? Should I deny myself? Should I give up what I want? In this day, you'll be glad for everything you did in the name of Jesus Christ. We can sit passively and do nothing and it doesn't really affect us now, but one day we're going to stand in the presence of the one who died for us and shed his blood and answer for how we've lived our life. This changes, changes the way we think about service and living our life. To me, it does. I don't, I don't think about this every day, but I think of it a lot more days that I don't think about it. Almost every day I think about this. It's not about pleasing people and getting a pat on the back. And people recognizing what we do and appreciating what we do. All that's nice and has its place. But the most important thing, like Paul said, whether present or absent, I want to be pleasing to him. If that doesn't mean something to you, you ought to have a gut check tonight. About, the, about what we're doing for the Lord. Let's go further to the book of Revelation because I want to quickly mention something else that will transpire in heaven after the return of Christ and the rapture of the believers, but before Jesus comes back to the earth. Revelation 19. Now just to put this in a time frame, in Revelation 19, if you look in verse 11, John says, Revelation 19 Verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, John says, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him, he that sat upon this horse, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now Jesus is about to come back. Not as a babe in a manger, but as the king of kings and lord of lords. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth forth, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, the nations. <laughs> and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's what's about to happen in Revelation 19. Just before that though, let's read in Revelation 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Capital L, Lamb. And the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her, to his wife, to his bride, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints and he saith unto me John says write blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true sayings of God so here we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Jesus is the lamb. The bride hath made herself ready. The bride is clothed in fine linen, clean and white, the righteousness of the saints. And it says in verse 9, John write this, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I just want to, I've taught a lot on this subject. I've given entire sermons to this subject. I'm not going to do that tonight. But everybody in heaven is not going to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. For instance, Old Testament saints are not going to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, some people have a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that everybody in heaven is not treated alike the same. By the way, in heaven, it's wonderful in heaven. No matter where you are in heaven, it's a good place to be, right? I mean, there's only one alternative, and you don't want to be there. And, there, and, and I say this tonight because a part of this, the criteria for someone being at invited to the marriage supper has to do, I believe, with the judgment seat of Christ. And um, Paul wrote about this, and I, let's see, we'll come back here to Revelation, but go to the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, Paul was very keenly aware of this when he wrote these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, I'll just read one verse, verse 2. He says, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to a church that's had a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, a lot of internal conflict. Chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul writes, for I'm jealous over you, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now there's no question there that he's talking to a church. There's no question that he's talking about a marriage. There's no question that he's talking about a groom. And there's no question that he's talking about a pure bride, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ and let's go one other place to the gospels this may be the last verse we look up John, uh, Luke, Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 and we'll, let's read a few verses let's just begin in verse 35 the gospel of Luke the 12th chapter the 35th verse let your loins be girded about and your light burning. That means be ready. It's a command. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. In other words, they're, they're on ready. They're waiting on him to come. And then he Stays on the same subject, but sort of switches gears a little bit. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you. Now who's, who's he saying to you? Those he finds watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth to serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have suffered, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. So what does he say here? Blessed are those who are watching and waiting and ready. Is that what he said? That's what he said. And those who are watching, those who are prepared, verse 37. Unto them he will gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth to serve him. Now I think what these verses teach us that a part of the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to determine 
the people who are really faithful, the people who are serving, the people who are watching, the people who are, are keeping their life right, the people who are doing what the Lord would have them to do. And I really think people have this idea. I think a lot of people have this idea. And you may have it. Hopefully you don't. And that is, you know, if you're saved, then it doesn't really matter too much how you live and it's all going to be the same when you get to heaven. And I say again, heaven is going to be heaven for everybody that gets there. But that kind of, number one, that kind of mentality is not biblical. It's not biblical. Because everything I've said to you tonight points to the fact that we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to answer for the way we've lived our lives and he's going to reward us for our service. And some people are going to have all their life works burn up and some will have some of it burn up. All, all of us have some of it burn up, I'm sure. But hopefully something's left. When the fire clears, hopefully something's left. And whatever's left will be, will be rewarded for that we can, number one, that we can take our crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus and say you're the only one that's worthy second of all those who have been faithful in watching according to the verses we've left they're going to be they're going to be a part of those people seated at the marriage of the lamb blessed are those that are invited that's what that's the same language in Luke 12 blessed are those who are watching when he comes in addition to that, what we do in the thousand-year reign of Christ, we just read where Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, the judgment seat of Christ will be behind us and we will be determined what we're going to do for him in the kingdom. And anything he lets us do will be good stuff. I mean, if I get to be the mayor of Anaconda, I'm going to be happy. And they're going to toe the line, bless God. Or New York City. That'd be a great place to be the reigning mayor for a thousand years, wouldn't it? No mask mandates. If you were to ask me this question, I'll ask me this question. Well, what about those who what about those who are saved? They haven't served the Lord. What's it going to be like for them at the judgment seat? I think, I think we're going to be regretful. I think we're going to be ashamed. That's why John the Beloved says that we'd be not ashamed at his coming. People are going to be ashamed. Christians are going to be ashamed. What about those who, who have been faithful? and What are they going to do during the thousand years? I don't know. Maybe nothing. I don't know. Maybe they'll... I'd, I'd just be speculating. I'm sure there's something they could do. Right? He's riding back on horses. Maybe they could clean the stalls. I don't know. If a person were to have this kind of thinking, I know that I ought to serve the Lord, but I'll just wait it out and see what happens. I just want to say as kindly as I know how to say, there's something wrong with that kind of thinking. And I'm not saying this because you or I or anybody deserves a crown. I'm saying this, he deserves our service. I think the teaching about the judgment seat of Christ is helpful to remind us of the importance of faithfulness and service to the Lord. I think it is. I also think it's a time for examination of our motives and why we do what we do and how we do what we do. Do we do it for self? 
Do we want everybody to know what we've done? And I think it's something that ought to be viewed with a sense of holy fear in a good way, not fear like you'd be terrorized, but the fear of the Lord. It's, it's going to be a sobering time. And I think it's going to be wonderful to be in heaven. I know it is. I mean, I, I, I know I don't deserve to be there. I know some things that will not be in heaven. And one of those things is pride. There'll be no pride in heaven. But I would like to think that something we've done in this life will be found worthy of rewards that would be able to take our crowns and throw them at the feet of Jesus. And if you read that text, as soon as they threw those crowns at his feet, they began to sing, worthy is the lamb. It won't be, look what I did, come, come, let me sign your Bible. No, it'll all be about, you know what I think, and I didn't say this, but I'm going to say it now, I'll be finished. You know what, the, it's gonna, one of the things I think is going to be manifest at the judgment seat, when our works will be manifest, what's going to be manifest is what he did. Amen. What he did through our life. And that's the only thing that's really going to matter. And we'll be able to see you didn't have a thing to do with it. He did it. And he gets the glory for it.